open this pulpit this morning. God bless you, Brother Phillips. Love you, brother. Clap your hands unto the Lord on Sunday morning. Hallelujah. I think we can do a little bit better than that. Somebody give God praise. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. Book of Jonah, chapter 1. While you're turning there, I want to say how glad I am to be here. This is a rare occasion. I think this is the first Sunday that I hadn't been somewhere way off uh, in a long time. And so that one Sunday, I can't think of anywhere better to spend it than in Bendale. And uh, I love this church, love Pastor and Sister Moore. And uh, I'm just thankful to see what God is doing and what God's going to do today throughout the rest of the day. And uh, we'll just kind of get into this and see where we end up. Y'all know I ain't afraid to pick it up later on this afternoon. I ain't preaching at 12 o'clock tonight. You can forget that. <laughs> I'm hungry now. My God, by then, I'm starving to death. But the more, oh, amen. I do want to be conscious of the time today. Uh, however, I do want to obey the Holy Ghost. And so I want to preach, and hopefully something in this will help someone to realize why you've been what you've been through. Amen. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Rise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. The Bible says that Jonah rose up to flee into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Amen. I know this isn't going to make much sense from this title, and um, but I'm going to hopefully, if the Lord will help me, get this all wrapped up and uh, get it, put a big red bow on it and give it to you however you want to put it. But... I want to talk to us today for a few moments about the simple thought that God is in control. How many believe that? I got three people that believe it. The rest of y'all, my God, help you. How many believe God's in control? Hallelujah. Would you lift your hands with me and let's pray together. God, we love you. We thank you. We're so glad to be in your presence one more time and to worship you in spirit and in truth. God, you've been so good to your people, and we're so thankful today. God, we come with lifted hands, with open hearts, God, thankful to be in your house and to ask you, Lord, one more time, fill us with your presence, fill us with your power, fill us with your joy. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray, amen. Would you clap your hands unto the Lord one more time? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Man, you may be seated as long as you promise to help me preach today. This story that begins here in Jonah chapter 1 is one that uh, I would dare venture to say that by the time of five years old, you've heard it more than at least 10 times. Uh, even if you haven't spent any time in Sunday school, if you come to Sunday school more than 10 times, you're going to hear about Jonah and the whale. This is God's man. This is God's prophet that he is sending to the Ninevites. Now, I want you to get a hold of this. If you miss this little piece of information None of this is going to make sense, and you have to so uh, just get it if you don't mind. So I don't have to re-explain it later on. But however, uh, when we look at Nineveh at this point in time and in history, it is the Assyrians that are in control of this city. So 
uh, to say that you are from Nineveh, to be a Ninevite, means that you are under the Assyrian control and demand. At this point in time in history, approximately 80% of Nineveh are Assyrians that are living there. And so with that in mind, we began to dig into the Word of God and ask the question, why here, why now? Why is God finally deciding to destroy this hub, this Assyrian hub? Uh, some would even go as far to say that it is a place of, be kind of like a, a base for the Assyrian army. And uh, the king is here and all of these things about Nineveh. And so there, we, we wonder what, what makes God at this point decide, hey, I'm done with these guys. I, I'm finna kill them all. I'm, I'm sick of it. What, what, what is it about these Assyrian people that God has decided that he wants to destroy? I don't think you have to dig very far into the word of God and find uh, the purpose of what is at the stronghold of this city and why they are evil in the sight of the Lord. And we can begin even go back farther than the Assyrians. We can go back to the book of Genesis and we can find that it is the same thing here that, we, that the Assyrians are dealing with that we find in the garden and it continues from there. It is my personal belief, and Pastor Moore, if you disagree with this, then he's right and I'm wrong. But it is my personal belief that Every sin under the sun stems from idolatry in some form or fashion or another. Idolatry is at the heart of every evil under the sun. Again, when we look at the garden, we see in the book of Genesis, the Bible tells us that, that, uh, that Eve beguiled by the serpent. And I, I don't know when she began to believe him, but I have to guess that it was somewhere around the time when he said, if you eat this, you'll be like a god. We understand that, that it is the same process. It's the same. Uh, I'm, I'm going to preach in a minute. Just give me some time today. Uh, I, it's the same issue that causes Lucifer himself to be cast down out of heaven because the Bible says that he said, I will become as a god. I will lift myself up above the Holy One. And, and, and so there's, there's these things that, again, this is what caused Lucifer to fail. This is what caused Eve to fail. <clears throat> and now we can kind of follow this trend throughout Scripture because you find when the language is confounded, the Bible says that they built themselves, they began to build a tower into the heavens for what purpose? They said, let's build us a name lest we be forgotten. And there's something to be said here. There's a whole message to be preached in this that I don't have time to get into today. But God Almighty came down and said, if I don't stop them, they'll do exactly what they wanted to do. I didn't say that. God said that. God said, if I don't stop them, they're going to build a tower all the way into heaven. Let's you know how much power is in unity. Again, whole other message for a whole other time. However... And so it's here, again, idolatry shows up. We, we, we transition from there and we find that, that Moses and, uh, begins to deliver God's people after 400 years in slavery and the first thing they do when he turns his back is they build themselves a golden calf. And so God speaks to Moses and he, he's done. God, I mean, you know Moses is bad to the bone. He literally gets between God and the people and says, if you're going to kill them, you got to kill me too. Look, I love y'all. <laughs> I don't know how much. I ain't been put in that position. You know what I'm saying? You, you better pray every day for Brother Moses because he has a bad day, you know. He might not pray them prayers. Hallelujah. But, but, but God, God tells Moses, he says, look, you... We're going to get rid of some of these jokers. Some way, somehow, we're, we're getting rid of them. And so the Bible says they spend 40 years wandering in the wilderness, and then finally they get into the promised land. And when they get there, God says, Don't you let your daughters marry their sons because they worship idols. Idolatry. 
at the heart of everything up until this point. And, and, and we, can, we can even look in history, and, and this is just a very simple but yet effective uh, Bible study point, is when you understand the origin of the Trinity. It was not the worship of the Father, Son, and Spirit. However, it was the worship of the sun, the moon, and the stars, worshiping the creation rather than the creator. And, and, and so as we get into that, that's, that's idolatry. So the Trinitarian doctrine in itself is full of idolatry. We move from there, and we, we kind of transition into the New Testament. I don't have time to do all this today, but I, I, I will just briefly show you. They, they worship the gods, Yeah, again, the sun, the moon, the stars. They worship the gods of the harvest. We get into the New Testament 2,000 years later, and the Bible tells us that Paul shows up at a temple, and they've got so many gods that they don't know them all, Pastor Moore. So they just build a temple, and they put an inscription and say, to the unknown gods. They're worshiping every god that they can even imagine. I mean, it's Diana, it's Aphrodite. It's Aphrodite. It's 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 all of these gods, the Pergamos and 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 Poseidon and all of these gods of of the Greek culture that are there in the day of Jesus and then in the day of Paul and they and 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 he's come to tear all of that down. It's all centered around idolatry, and so you can see even a little bit some of these uh, religious zealots why Jesus would be rejected by them simply because of they have been searching the Scripture. And, and some of it's not really their fault, Pastor Moore. Some of it is, some of it isn't. But the part that isn't is the fact that they have watched as Israel has failed into idolatry time and time and time again. And so the reason they missed God when He manifests Himself in the flesh is because they were so afraid that they were going to fall back into the same trap of idolatry yet again. So their issue with Him was, He says He's God. This is idolatry. This is blasphemous. And, 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 and so on and so forth. And I, again, I don't have time to get into all of this. But I, I, I will tell you that, that the God here in, in Jonah is doing the same thing that he's doing today. And the same thing that he did from the fall of the garden is when God sees idolatry, the only thing he can do rather than wipe everybody off the face of the earth like he did in Noah's day is he can send them a preacher. And so he sends them a preacher, and he begins to preach to them. You will find it in your, in your Bible at some point, in every minor and major prophet, is a call to repentance from idolatry. And yet again, I state, again, it's my opinion that every sin under the sun stems from idolatry. Which brings us to our text. I went through all of that to get to where I'm going. And, and where God speaks to Jonah, y'all still awake today? Have I bored you to death yet? Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to start preaching in a minute. I'm not hollering yet, so don't start my time. My time don't start till I start hollering. Y'all know the rules. But, but, but God sends Jonah, or he gives Jonah a word. You go down into Nineveh. And you begin to speak to the Ninevite people. You speak to the Assyrians and you tell them to repent. And so uh, God, God is angry at the Assyrians because they have caused God's people to go after false gods. He's, he's upset with Nineveh because Nineveh is putting idolatry in the face of the Israelites. And, and so God says, Jonah, I want you to go down there and I want you to say that this city's going to come to naught if they don't turn away from the idolatrous ways, their wicked ways. And, and this is where we pick up the point in the Bible and we start getting into our know-it-all attitudes. Jonah, you so good for nothing. Don't act like you ain't ever talked to Jonah like that. How many times have we sat in Sunday school with our Kool-Aid and goldfish and ate Jonah up because God speaks to Jonah and Jonah says, I'm not going where God says. I'm going the opposite direction. And don't act like you ain't ever looked at him and said, now if I had a word from God, well, first of all, I'm not chasing that rabbit, but I could. But, but you got to understand that this guy's human flesh and blood just like you are and just like I am. And this is the part of the Word of God that brings us to the realization that they were real people like we are. 
And, and, and I think sometimes we can look at people like Noah and we can look at people like Abraham and we can look at people even like the Apostle Paul and we can put them on a pedestal and they do, they, they are worthy to be put on that pedestal. They made it into the, into the halls of faith and they, 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 they made it into the Word of God. However, they are still human and they are still flesh and they are still blood and they still have issues and they still have problems and they still have circumstances that they have to deal with. That we don't get to read the whole story about. Like, for instance, this story is, it, it, it blows my mind, Pastor Moore. Just, uh, it wasn't very long ago that I was studying the city of Nineveh, and I realized this, and all of a sudden, I had to repent to Jonah because I've been tearing him to pieces ever since I was six, and I didn't know the whole story. And I began to study the city of Nineveh. And I find, find out in this study that the eastern wall of the city is built with the heads of prophets of the Israelites. That explains it. Now you tell me you wouldn't have ran the other way. Oh, don't look at me like you're so self-righteous. There's got to be a bar somewhere within a driving distance of here that's going to be serving alcohol today. And if we were to go in and start saying, hey, I want to tell you about church tonight. Now, here, here's the catch. As soon as you get done and you talk to people about Jesus, somebody's going to pull a 45 out and shoot you between the eyes. Ain't nobody wants to go, do you? Now, I want you to point your finger and look down your nose at Jonah again. We, we see that he goes the opposite direction, but we don't see the cause and effect of why. It's, it's Jonah understands that this is literally a death wish. And if I go and I obey God like every other prophet has done, then there's no way that I will live to see another day. And so Jonah decides to rebel. But what Jonah does not understand is even in his rebellion that God is in control. The Bible tells us that Jonah goes and he gets on a boat and he's going the opposite direction from Nineveh. But the Bible says that in Jonah's uh, rebellion and in Jonah's haste to go the other way, that the Lord prepared a storm and the storm come upon this ship unto the point that the Bible says that they could not tell which direction they were going. It was dark. There were no stars to be able to guide themselves. They they didn't have a GPS tracker back then, Brother Brad. They just, all they understood was to watch the stars and understand that by the direction of the stars, they knew where they were going. And it comes to a point now that the storm is so bad that now they can't do anything. And so it's in the middle of this that they go and they cast lots and they look for Jonah and the lot falls on Jonah and they know that the storm is because of him. And, and can I just pause right here for a moment and tell somebody on this Sunday morning. However, the fact is that you got in the storm is none of my business. Uh, however you got to where you are, that's none of my business. But can I tell you in spite of the storm that God uh, is still in control. Uh, your storm does not intimidate God. Uh, your storm does not scare God. Uh, your storm does not catch God by surprise. Uh, your storm doesn't make God want to crawl under the covers. Uh, God no, no, no. That's not how God works, friend. The storm may have you confused, but the storm doesn't have God confused. Because while you're confused, God is in control. And while you don't know which way's up and which way's down, he said, I have the path for you. And I know the thoughts that I think towards you. I've got it all figured out. Hallelujah. As a matter of fact, I would go as far to say today that God will use storms in order to direct you. That God will use a storm to get you out of the helm of control to where God can be in control. Say, I don't understand what I'm going through. Let me tell you, you're going through trials and tribulations for one of two reasons. This is it. It can't be anything else. Either God's trying to convince you to keep going or the devil's trying to convince you to quit. 
that's the only two reasons you're ever going to be in a storm in your life. And so the only thing you got to figure out is if I'm in the will of God. Because if I'm in the will of God, then it's the devil trying to get me to quit. And if I'm not in the will of God, it's God trying to get me to get in the will of God. And so I've got to learn how to take the storm and decipher it and say either this is going to push me to the altar or it's going to push me to the direction that I need to go. I don't want my storm to cause me to quit when I'm on the verge. Oh, help me, Jesus. I feel like preaching this right now. When I'm on the verge of the greatest revival that I've ever had in my life, I don't want the storm to cause me to start questioning God. I'm going to tell you, God's good in spite of my storm. I wish I had somebody help me preach right now. God's good in spite of my storm. God's good in spite of my chaos. God is good in spite of the financial struggle. God is good in spite of the family trouble. God is good in spite of the depression. God is in control of everything at all times. And he's good in all things. So the storm has caused confusion. And while the storm has caused confusion, God has been in control. God, God never loses control. And, and so the Bible then lets us know. I'm, I'm going to try to get to where I'm going here. Uh, the Bible lets us know that they cast lots. And after they cast lots, they start throwing everything overboard. And it's at this point in time that, that Jonah says, look, just get me out of the ship and everything will be fine. And, and there's a whole message to preach here, but I don't have time to do it. The Bible says that they, they get Jonah out of the ship and then they glorify God because the storm is over. You ever thought that maybe what you're going through is affecting not just you but somebody else? Because this is the thing. that they, They've been bowing down and worshiping their little idols, but now they know who the real God is. Maybe what you're going through is to show somebody else that there's a God in heaven that really is paying attention. And, and, and so the Lord, it, God prepared the storm, and, and, and we're going to deal with this prepared word here in a little bit, hopefully, if we have time today. But, but the, the, then the Bible says that God prepared the fish, and the fish swallows Jonah. So the storm confused them to the point that they didn't know which direction that they were going. And so now not only is Jonah confused, but now Jonah is consumed. It's not just the storm on the outside. He's been consumed by things. And now he's living in a turmoilous place where, uh, where, where the walls are closing in on him. And now he's not just being controlled by the storm. Now he is being controlled by this being that is taking him. He does not know where. All he knows is uh, things have got dark very quickly. All he knows is now it's not just a problem on the outside. Now I got big trouble. But, but there is something here to be said, Pastor Moore. And, and, and I notice this when, when you have to read the Bible slow and sound out the words like I do and you can't read it real fast, you, you notice some stuff. I, I can't read the Bible fast. I never was a good reader. So I have to break it down and read it real slow. And when I'm doing that, every now and again, God will give me a little nugget. And I found one of those nuggets here as of late when the Bible says that Jonah in the belly of the fish somewhere about day two or three, I don't know, he, he begins to bow his knee. And the Bible says that he turns his face towards Jerusalem. Now, how in the world? Think about this with me. Can a guy in the belly of a fish, in the bottom of an ocean, know where Jerusalem is? Yeah, that's the exact same thought I had. Huh. Now, I, it's in there. It's in your Bible. He turns his face towards Jerusalem and the only thing I can figure is while he's consumed and while he's confused is he starts feeling conviction. And conviction will align you with Jerusalem regardless of where you are. So I can tell you today, it doesn't matter where you're at or what you're going through. If you feel that little tug towards the house of God, that's the same thing that can guide Jonah to turn towards Jerusalem. He can be, you can be on the belly of a whale in the bottom of an ocean. Uh, but if you can still have the ability, the mental capacity to pray, uh, then you can find where Jerusalem is uh, and you can get back. I've come to tell 
somebody today. It's not hopeless. You haven't gone too far. You haven't done too much. You haven't sinned so bad. If you can just turn your face towards Jerusalem, God can align you with the house of God and make everything right again. I don't have to know all the answers. I don't have to get it all right. But this one thing I got to get right. I got to find Jerusalem and I got to turn my face towards Jerusalem. We talked about it a couple of nights ago. I, I, I think we did anyway. I've preached so much this last month. I don't know which way's up and which way's down. I don't know if I'm in Dan or Shechem. It's just it's I'm all over the place. But however, when 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 you begin to look at the ideology of you, you you become what you look at. Lot is looking towards Sodom and eventually moves into Sodom and and and, and it's beyond that because the Bible says that his wife, when she, she now now her children are in Sodom and now. She's ingrained into the life of Sodom uh, until eventually that God sends fire down out of heaven. Uh, and when God sends fire down out of heaven, uh, she turns back and she looks. And it's not just fire, but you you begin to study it. It's sulfur. And, and, and there's something to this because the Bible says uh, that she's turned into a pillar of salt. And salt happens to be the highest quality in, in, in sulfur. And so she literally became what she turned around and she looked at, can I tell you that Jonah had the same revelation that, that I will become what I look towards. And so I, I got to ask you on this Sunday morning, what are you looking at? Well, I think I'm going to preach right here for a minute. See, because if you keep looking at the world and you keep experiencing things in your life, and I, I don't know where that came from. I'll tell you why. Because you got your eyes on the wrong thing. And, and, and you wonder why your children are not in church. And you wonder, well, well, the issue is is not where you're going. It's where you're looking because you can be in the church and looking at the world. And eventually the world will make its way into your heart. Not because you were in the world, but because you were looking at the world. You go where you look. That's why when you're driving, your wife will tell you, watch the road because it won't be long and you'll be driving through the middle of a cornfield because you're going uh, where you're looking. And so I've come to tell somebody this morning, uh, you got to get the revelation that Jonah had. Uh, if I'm in a mess uh, and I need to get out of this, I don't need to look to Congress because Congress can't fix me. Uh, I don't need to look to another shrink because he can't fix me either. Uh, if my marriage is in trouble, I thank God for counselors. Uh, but there comes a point that the counselor don't have the answers. I, I've got to turn myself uh, and align myself uh, with Jerusalem uh, so that God can touch me uh, and put me back together again. Hallelujah. That, that, that's, that's, that's the whole idea of why we've got to turn ourselves towards the house of God. The Bible says that Hezekiah turned himself towards the wall. It was just, just so happens that that wall was facing the temple. He turned his house towards the, he turned himself towards the house of God. And so when, when we get this revelation, it's not long before God starts moving because you read not long after that, that now I'm finally getting around to that whole reason why I talked about idolatry for about 15 minutes. I'll get there in a few seconds, but but we're getting there. We're seeing now the picture's fixing to come full circle. And now Jonah has decided, I don't care if they cut my head off. I don't care if they shoot me between the eyes. I don't care if they cut off all my fingers and toes. Just don't put me back in the fish. I don't want to go back in there. And so God allows Jonah to be spit up on dry land. And this is where you're going to have to trust me and go home and do your homework and come back, and if you, if you can find something different than what I found, then I would love to read the book. I'd love to do the research. But as far as I can find, every book that I've read, every, every study piece of material that I can find on the Assyrian army, this is the way they did it. And they would take this king. This king would be sitting in Nineveh. Remember, this is important. This is the Assyrians. This is, this is the people that hate God. And, and so that he would be sitting in, in his throne in Nineveh. And every five degrees, 50 miles out, 
there would be a runner. This is kind of where the Olympics got started in, in Greek mythology and translated into, into the modern Olympics of what we have today. And, and so there would be competitions to see who the fastest runners in the kingdom were. And when they found the fastest runners, they would, they would put them every five degrees from uh, at 50 miles, up to 50 miles out. Uh, from the king's throne, and the purpose of this is is to be a spy. Basically, they would sit upon a hill somewhere. And they, am I boring y'all, or is this okay? And, and 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 so as they would sit on the hill, they would look out and they they would try to see if anyone was coming towards the camp. And as they did see somebody coming, if 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 it's an attack, if it's a prophet, whatever the case may be, they would run back to the king of Nineveh. He was the only man in the kingdom. These runners that could just burst into the king's throne. Room. Nobody else could do it. Nobody else could run in. But this man could just bust in unannounced and he, he could go in and tell the king his business. And so um, just walk with me through this picture here. As Jonah is spit up on the belly, uh, out of the belly of the fish and he spit up on dry land and there's this guy sitting up on a hill watching. Remember, I, I told you, I, I wasn't even smart enough to make it all the way through Sunday school. They held me back in the primary class for a long time. I've had a lot of time to think about this stuff. But they, they, he gets spit out, and there's this guy sitting up on the hill. You can see it right now in your, in your little Sunday school coloring book animated. I guarantee you you can. And he looks, and this guy's coming out of a fish, and he runs back. And he tells the king, we got a prophet coming. Really? You mean we're going to get to finish that edition? Some of y'all will catch that tomorrow. <laughs> we're going to cut his head off. We're going to plaster it into the wall. This one's different. I don't know how to tell you this. But he came out of a fish. Yeah, right. Kind of comical, isn't it? Until you go back to 1 Samuel and you start connecting the dots. You find the book of 1 Samuel, Will, I think it's chapter 5. It gives you a story of the ark of God going before this, this little G God, this little idol, this God that, that would fall down on its face. And they would come back the next day and set him up, dust him off, all this good stuff. And then they would leave and come back the next day and his head and his hands are cut off and they're laying outside of the threshold of the door. And, and, and so what, what does that have to do with anything? It has a lot to do with it because God is in control. has everything to do with it because he said, I'll ne not let any God set up above me. I'm in control of this. And, and so that, that connects us here to Jonah because that God, that, that God cut his head and his hands off, that idol, his name was Dagon. And in, in, in ancient mythology, Dagon was half fish. Oh, help me, Jesus. I'm going to preach this now. And half man. And when you begin to understand this, it's not very hard then for you to be able to draw the lines and again, connect the dots and see exactly what God is doing. God knew Jonah was going to run. God knew Jonah was going to go the opposite direction. And God said, Jonah, I'm choosing you because I know you're going to do this. But if, if I don't choose you and you don't run, then I can't put you in the belly of the fish. And you can't literally come out of a God, a idol that they worship. Can I tell you that prophet? after prophet has came and they have not listened to a word they said so God said I'm going to take the least likely to succeed I'm going to take the rebel I'm going to take the one that's going the opposite way and I'm going to put him in the fish because when he comes out of the fish they're going to listen to him as a prophet of their God can I tell you today the reason you've been through what you've been through is because there's a Ninevite out there that needs to know I came out of the belly of of the God that you worship. You suffer with alcoholism. Well, I came out of alcoholism. You suffer with drugs. I came out of drugs. You, you're on your fifth marriage, and the one you're married to right now isn't even your own. Well, I've done that too, but God brought me out of that God. God brought me out of that idol. I've been in the belly of the well. I've been 
in the belly of the fish that you worship and God brought me I'm here to tell you there's a Ninevite in Bendale Mississippi that needs to know you came out of the God that they worship you came out of the idol that they bow their knee to the greatest revival of the Old Testament 127,007 days you talk about needing a new building 127,000 in seven days comes from the guy in Sunday school class who was always goofing off and wasn't paying attention to the teacher. And you've come to tell me that God can't use you to reach somebody? 127,000 comes from the least likely to succeed. And you really mean to tell me you've done so much that God can't use you to save an Ninevite? 127,000 in seven days. And you mean to tell me that that little, that scar that you've got on you from when you were drunk driving disqualifies you from reaching a Ninevite? You mean to tell me those needle tracks in your arms from where you used to shoot up drugs, that disqualifies you? Honey, if it qualified Jonah, it qualifies you. Some people got to go in the belly of the whale to be able to preach to somebody else I've been where you are and God brought me out when they were singing earlier about a testimony I'm telling you that's the whole purpose of the story of Jonah I, 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 get, I, I get the ideology behind what Jonah was thinking uh, and what Jonah was saying Jonah wasn't even happy with the revival some people you can give them 127,000 in 7 days they still ain't happy I mean, I, some people you just can't please but I'm not here to preach about that today I'm here to preach to you that you're a Jonah in a world full of Ninevites uh, and you've got a story uh, you came out of the belly of their God uh, you came out of the belly of of the stuff that they worship. You came out of the belly of the stuff that they bow their knee to and God did it for a purpose. They're not going to listen to me. They might not listen to another preacher. They'll just cut his head off and silence him. But to a Jonah that's been where they are, to a Jonah that knows how they feel, to a Jonah that's heard the voices in their head, they'll listen to you. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm, and I say this thankfully, and not to degrade anybody, but I was raised in this, and I'm thankful I was raised in this, but there are people I will never be able to reach because I was raised in this. As far as I'm concerned, they're going to cut my head off, metaphorically, I hope. They're going to silence my voice. Because that preacher don't know what it's like to come home and everything be shattered. That preacher don't know what it's like. He, he, he can't see it. Brother Moore, he's too good of a man. He just, he don't see. He don't see what I'm going through. No, but there's a Jonah coming from Israel. You wonder why you've been what you've been through. You wonder why you had to walk through the hurt you had to walk through. God had to put you in the belly of the fish because there's somebody out there going through what you've been through. And they need to know, not from a preacher with a suit and a tie, but from somebody with the scars, that God knows where you are. I am not by any means advocating for, I'm, I'm not advocating for enjoying sin. And, and talking about how fun sin was. That's, you you got to get what I'm saying. But I think sometimes in our walk with God, when we come to church, we are quick to try to hide where we've been. And we'll put on all the garb and wear our suit just right to where you can't see the scars all over me. Honey, can I tell you that there's somebody that needs to see those scars? There's some... I'm not telling you that you need to go out and get a tattoo by any means, but I know that there's people in this church that have tattoos. I'm not, I'm, not I'm not degrading you, and I'm not sending you to hell for that. We understand that the Bible teaches against it. That was, that was B.C., before Christ. But I am telling you that somebody out there needs to come in here and say, well, 
my God, somebody else knows. They've been there too. They've walked the same. Don't don't you hide it in shame? I'm not not telling you to put it on a pedestal. That's not it. But but don't you hide it somebody to ask you about it. Yeah, that's who I used to be. But I came out of the belly of that fish. And let me just tell you, you can come out of the belly of that fish. 127,000 from one man. That had a testimony. The gods you worship are the gods that I crawled out of. Seaweed wrapped around his neck. I mean, that's, at least that's how Sunday school taught us it looked. He had little, three little lines above his head showing us he stunk. It's all coming back, ain't it? All of this stuff. It plays a part. Because he was wearing where he'd been. And he smelled like where he'd been. And you might have to wear where you've been. And you might have to carry around the stench of where you've been. Why? So that everybody at the church can pick on me? Honey, if you're going to a real church, they're not going to pick on you. Why? So I can't fit in. That's the beauty of this church. It don't matter what work of life you come from. You always fit in. So it don't matter if you're a sinner or you're a saint or you've been in church for 10 minutes or 10,000 years. You can fit in at this church. God takes Jonah. Somebody that in, and understand, he can't, in, in literal terms of the Old Testament, He can't go to church. Because God said, when you come before the tent, that's why you look at the tabernacle. I wish I had time to teach this. But when you look at the tabernacle of the wilderness, it was white linen all the way around. You know what that was? That was a check your shirt sign. You were to stand beside, when you walked up with your, just imagine how difficult it is to bring oxen to the house of God to be slaughtered and not get dirty. That's a job, buddy. You had to wear a white linen garment and that that white on the tabernacle was so that you could walk up with your garment and put it beside it and say, okay, am am I clean? Is this the same shade? Because if it was darker than this shade, you were unclean and you had to go back to the house and take a bath and put on different clothes and then come to church. Go read Leviticus. Go read Numbers. Go read Exodus. It's all in there. And so in common terms, Jonah can't even go to church, Brother Moore. He don't fit in with the church, folks. He stinks. And, and there's studies that have been done and all this stuff like this, but you, you just, I, I don't know. I don't know how all this worked. I know God prepared the fish. They say that a whale couldn't possibly swallow a man and get him into his stomach, but the, when God prepares him, he can do anything God prepared him to do because God is in control. It's the premise of what we're talking about today. But they say that, that if Jonah would have got into the belly of the whale, that he would have been, all the pigment in his skin would have been changed and he'd have been all polka dotted because the acid would have started breaking him down. You can't come to church like that. Ooh, boy, I could preach this. You ain't the right color. Hey. You, you, you come from more than one. Well, let me just tell you, we all do anyway. So it don't ain't no such thing as pure this or pure that. We're all just a bunch of gumbos. You you can't come here. Why not? Jonah could. Jonah couldn't go to church, but he could go have a hundred and twenty-seven thousand soul revival. Jonah didn't fit in with the church world, but he could have a hundred and twenty-seven thousand soul revival. Jonah was thought of as a misfit, but he had 120, I'm, 127,000. And you mean to tell me you can't win one? 
You got a testimony just like Jonah's that I've came out and God has saved me and God has changed me. I've been where you are and I'm telling you, you ought to storm the gates of Bendale, Mississippi all up and down these highways and byways uh, with the story that Jonah had. Uh, I've been where you are, but God saved my soul. Musicians, come, I'm closing. I'll tell you, it's hard sometimes. It's hard to deal with the facts of where we've been. Because sometimes it hurts. It's hard to deal with the fact that, that as a grown woman, you're sitting on a pew and you have to think back to being eight years old and, and improperly touched by an uncle or, or molested by a neighbor. But can I tell you why you need to deal with that and deal with the hurt? Can I tell you why you need to make the best of this? Because there's another little seven-year-old girl out there somewhere. There's somebody that's where you were. And, and as dysfunctional as you may feel like you are, you're in the house of God. And you have a family. You're, you're not locked up in a white room hugging yourself all the time. Give yourself a pat on the back. God's been good to you. That's where you should be, but that's not where you are. And can I tell you that without the Holy Ghost, that that little girl that's seven years old is going to end up in the same place that you should have ended up if you don't tell your story. Bible tells us that we're we are overcomers by firstly the blood of the Lamb. And now stand with me, I'm closing. And by the word of our testimony. 127,000. I won reprobate knucklehead. You're a man, right? I, I ain't got to worry about hurting your feelings. Okay, good. I didn't think I did. Come help me. We're not going to glory in the fact that it was a couple years he was away from God. We're not going to glory in that. But can I tell you why? Uh, th this goes for everybody, but I'm going to talk to him right now, and you can apply it to you however it goes. Can I tell you why you need to tell somebody? I was away. And I already know because I've been where you are. And the devil was lying to me and told me I've gone too far. Is that the truth? The devil lied to me and told me I've sinned too much. Is that the truth? The devil said when you go back to church, they're going to judge you and they're going to talk bad about you behind your back. Is that the truth? You want to know why you got to tell people about that? Because somebody's sitting at their kitchen table where you were sitting a month ago crying right now saying, God, if you don't help me. There's somebody that's don't, that don't want to make that trip down to the altar like you made. There's a, there's a Ninevite that's sitting right where you were. <laughs> and here's the deal. I, 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 don't have time to, I don't have time to deal with it long. But we talked about it just briefly. The Bible says that God prepared. You know what that word prepared is? It's, it's an Aramaic word. An Aramaic word, rather. It, it, it means, what is this? It's the same word as the word manna. You go look at it in the original translation. It's the same word as manna. When they called it manna, they said, it is manna. And you read it in parentheses in your Bible in the book of Exodus. It says, for they wist not what it was. That was King James' way of saying, they ain't know what it was. They wish not what it was. They didn't have an idea what this was. And this is what these kind of things will do to us. We'll get in the storm and we'll get inside the fish and we'll say, what is this? God, are you trying to kill me? Am I, am I telling you that this prayer is that you prayed, ain't it? You know why you got to tell somebody that? Because they're sitting that right now. What is this? If God really loved me, why would I be going through what I'm going through right now? What, what, what is this? 
I'll tell you what this is. This is the vehicle to destiny. And when they ate, when they picked up the manna, the Bible says that it was like angels' food. And it's what sustained them for 40 years in the wilderness. And we continue to ask God, what is this that's going on in my life? Why am I going through this? Why, why, why have you prepared this? And God says, Jonah, it's to get you from that pew back there to that altar up there. Because you got a testimony that's not just going to save you, Jonah. But it's going to save everybody else that you come in contact with. And so who's to say, what's your, what's your name? Justin. Justin. Who's to say that Justin doesn't start a revival of 127,000? So we ain't even got that many in Bendale. It's all right. When you get the kind of church that I'm talking about, they'll come from 10 hours away to get there. Who's to say? Who's to say Justin didn't start something? I don't, I don't look. I, I'm just. I'm using him as an example because one, I knew he wouldn't get offended, and two, because I've seen him in the last couple of weeks come to church. How many more Justins? Are, how many more Jonas? How many more? How many more? How many more? How many? How many? Who else in here's got a past that you're you're not really proud of? For one purpose. So that men might see Jesus. That's it. That's all, it, that's all it's about. It, it ain't about you call me crazy and look at me funny and all of this stuff, but it ain't about me. And I, I'm telling you, it ain't never been about me. Jonah, the problem is, is if you get it all about you, listen, this is the rest of the story. You'll set up on the edge of 127,000 soul revival with a bad attitude, and you will be. It's the only book in the Bible that God is questioning someone at the end of the book. We don't read anything else. God gives Jonah a question, and that's the end of the book. And I would love to know what came after the question, but because we missed our opportunity to see God in the mess. Am I helping anybody today? Jonah missed his chance. He's an old man. He's rewriting the book. He's, he's aged. He's, and he's telling the story from the third person point of view, looking back through his memory. And I wonder if as an old man, Sister Moore, he thought, that's what you were doing. You couldn't have told me that then. Let me just tell you. God doesn't work with what you've got in mind and what you have planned. And all that, that, that's not how God works. God don't work with your plans. Your plans will almost never fit into God's ideologies. And so God says, Jonah, come here. He's all sober. I'm closing right now. Jonah, come here. Jonah, come to this place. Turn your face towards Jerusalem. Get back to an altar. Find yourself a place to pray, Jonah. And when you find that place to pray, then revival like you've never known can come out of the, what you've been through. I wish there'd be somebody right now that said, you know what, I've been through a whole lot, but I'm going I'm to find a way to let God be in control of everything that I've been through. I'm going to find a way to let God, let God, the light of God shine in my pain. Come on, would you come right now? I'm, I'm going to find a way to let the, the plan of God be revealed in me. That I'm, I'm turning my face towards Jerusalem today. Maybe you're here today and you've got questions. What, what's God doing and what I'm going through? Maybe he's trying to align you with Jerusalem. Because there's 127,000 that are waiting on you. Come on, there's somebody that you work with. There, there's a Ninevite. There's a Ninevite that's waiting on you. Come on, would you lift your voice? Would you lift your voice? God, would you help me? Would you help me to see? Would you help me to see the testimony and what I've been through? Would you help me to see that you're not picking on me and, and, and that you're not mad at me, but you're trying to help me to help somebody? Come on. Come on, I got a calling on my life. You may never pick up a pull, uh, pick up a microphone and get behind a pulpit, Jonah, but you're preaching a message nevertheless. Come on, as they begin to sing, would you lift your voice with me right now? God, help me to see. Help me to see. Help me to see what you're oh, doing. One who's ever seen the mountain of their sins just disappear. 
come on you went through hell God's trying to show you there was a purpose in the hell you've been through somebody else needs to know that there's a God in all of this 